Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is the Personal Finance Show. Today is July 26th, 2020. This is the year of the pandemic. Uh, it's episode 18 of my COVID-19 series where, you know, I was uh, taking a little break from podcasting. I'm like, I'm going to come back. I'll come back and I'll do shows again. I don't know when, but, you know, whenever it feels right. And, and the pandemic kind of made it feel right uh, a little bit sooner, I think. Uh, and that I made time, uh, you know, it's a Sunday morning right now. I do this show live basically now there's a little bit of editing uh, but uh, it's basically a live show because I don't have a lot of time anymore with a full-time job and an 18-month-old baby and my wife's in medical school there's a lot going on and I don't uh, have time to you know plan things and and edit them and, and book people and build a programming schedule uh, so this is uh, I'm really glad I started this though 18 weeks ago and uh, started talking to people around the world um, and to people with different experiences, people who um, are experiencing this pandemic uh, in, in their own individual way. And hearing from them is uh, what I want to share uh, with everybody listening. So today I have uh, Aquania Escarnay on the show. She is a podcaster. Uh, the, what's the name of your podcast? The Purpose of Money Podcast. The Purpose of Money podcast. Love it. Love it. Um, I'm really uh, interested in, in uh, f- uh, focusing on podcasters lately because I realize uh, uh, on a podcast is a great place to promote another podcast and to talk about podcasting in general. You're obviously, if you're listening, you like podcasts, so maybe you want to listen to another one. And it's it takes time when you're starting a podcast to build an audience and for people to even know that you exist. Uh, and so, uh, you know, let's have some community. Let's focus on, um, you know, helping each other out. Uh, those of us who have uh, been in this a little bit longer uh, can uh, sort of uh, amplify uh, others uh, in this uh, community. So uh, this is good. And this just, uh, she, uh, Aquania just happens to be in a, a, a personal finance podcast. Um, t- tell us, well, why did you pick personal finance? So I've actually been in love with personal finance since I was in high school. I was Mm, 16 and my dad gave me my first personal finance book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He said, yeah, he said, you know, if I don't teach you anything, I want to empower you with financial literacy. That's So So I read it. And once I read that book, I was so inspired to create generational wealth and to be financially independent at an early age that I opened my first retirement account. Wow. A Roth individual. Yeah. A Roth individual retirement account at 16. I took the first paycheck from my first job in a retail store and I put it all in. I said, I'm all in. (laughs) And I haven't really looked back since, but that's how I started my journey. And I've been informally helping family members and friends since then. It wasn't until 2016. I came no, 2015, actually, I came back from living in Dubai for three years. And wow. I read this article that talked about how Americans didn't have $500 saved for an emergency. Yeah, And I said to myself, that's crazy. Like, 
that is achievable if you put your mind to it or even make it fun. I came across this 52 week savings challenge and it was perfectly set that it was in June at the time. And if we started the savings challenge in June, by the end of the year, you'd have 500. Okay. Yeah. So I challenged people on social media. I started blogging on medium.com about personal finance and using the blog to kind of educate people about the challenge and get them to sign up and get them to save. And it was an easy one too, because the 52 week challenge, you just save a dollar more each week than you did the previous week. So you start out with $1, then second week, $2, third week, $3 until $52 is the most that you put aside. So you tell yourself like most people should be able to do this. And seeing that we started halfway through the year, they really only had to do half that, right? So I started that way, got a lot of people on board and then thought to myself, you should freelance, right? Maybe this could be a way to generate income. So I used Mr. Google to figure out how do you become a freelance writer. And I found my first freelance writing gig on upwork.com. And that was it. Once I started writing for someone else, then I went to FinCon in 2018 and was inspired to launch my own blog, thepurposeofmoney.com. And that was it. The podcast came later because Danielle Desir, who you and I both know, she is a rock star. She's uh, started the WOC podcasters group. She was in my ear the whole time. Like, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. Like, you write well, but you talk faster. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like me. I talk talk as I, I write as I talk. So I'm like, why don't I just talk? Exactly. And I was like, no, it's hard enough keeping up with blogs. Who wants to keep a schedule with a podcast? She said, no, you set the schedule. You set the tone. You could do the topics. You could interview people. You could make it solo. And then I just put a date on it. And I said, January 22nd, this is the launch date. And I went with it. And I recorded several episodes in December before we even got to the new year. And I had them in the vault, I call it, my episodes in the vault. And then I launched and I decided I was going to do biweekly to give myself breathing room because I do have a nine to five and life does happen. And I have two Mm -hmm. kids and a husband. So I do a biweekly podcast. It comes out every Wednesday. I have stuck to that schedule. I've even thrown in some bonus episodes from here and there. And now I am going to take my first break. Also, thanks to Danielle's advice. (laughs) Break is good. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't thinking about it at first, but I want to take a month off my birthday month, August to September, and regroup, refresh, take those episodes out the vault and kind of organize them in a way that will have a theme and okay. then launch again in September. That sounds great. So there's about uh, 70 things I want to drill down on in what you just said. But because this isn't my regular uh, a full uh, story format, um, I'm going to have to, we're going to have to have you on in the future to talk about the, the whole story. You got I it. I have to ask you about a little bit about Dubai though. Uh, okay. why are you there and, 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 uh, sure. And, uh, three years, uh, just yeah. tell me, uh, tell quickly me a bit about that. Yeah. So my day job is a U.S. diplomat and that okay. was one of my assignments. Fantastic. So I've traveled so, the world and I've served my country. Wow. That's okay. That's, uh, yeah, we've got to get you back on to talk about all that. Um, that that's the thing, right? Uh, it's like I want to do my whole. Uh, I've been I've done so many episodes where I tell your personal finance story from the beginning, 
And uh, I, I like it so much, it's hard for me to not uh, ask you more questions about that. But uh, well, I want to talk about COVID-19 uh, and your story there. So mm-hmm. uh, so let's go back to, to the beginning. Uh, there was a, a time in our lives when we could walk around freely. I don't really? know if you remember that. Yeah, no. it seems like Only vaguely. <laughs> like a dream, right? I, I do dream of this parallel universe where COVID-19 <laughs> never happened. Right? And all of my 2020 vacations did take place. Uh, uh, we are uh, in that in that parallel universe. We're going to Italy next week. Uh, yeah, for two weeks. And um, with the baby for the first time staying in the Italian Alps uh, and which is not happening. I've um, lived there, too. And I, oh, you would love wow. it. Yeah. OK. You know, I was I in ca- Italy for school, though. So a year I'm of really school. tempted to stop talking about COVID-19 and go back to your story. No, uh, we're going to save it. <laughs> yeah. Give, make it the future. people come back. Yes. Right. Yeah. I want you to come back for a full episode. Right. Starting from when you were a baby to the, that Roth IRA when you were 16 and and talking about your dad and, and how awesome it is to have a parent who would give you that kind of advice uh, from the beginning. You know, these are the things that I cl- that I sort of uh, focus in on that I, that I heard you say that is very unique, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that people could use more of. And on top of that, that you actually wanted to do that for some reason. That is strange. It's true. And and not it, that's a unique thing to not just say whatever, Dad. I I, <laughs> I want to buy some like you know Sour Patch Kids or something instead, right? Like it, it's so it's so much uh, likely that you would do one versus the other. So I um it's it, it's good to to talk about those things in detail. Anyhow, I digress. <laughs> Uh, so you, uh, where were you when this all started? Uh, were you uh, working in, uh, you're working in D.C. That's where you are yes. now. You're in D.C. Working in okay, D.C. So and in January, in an office. In an office and okay, in yeah. January is when my life kind of went haywire because, to be honest, I cover Asia in my job oh, as well. Yep. And oh, wow, yeah. we had um, people in China who had to come home in January. And that was a huge amount of extra work that we weren't normally doing. When you have the evacuation of American citizens anywhere, especially in the midst of a crisis, you don't always know what's ahead, but you know safety first. So we did a lot of measures uh, to make sure we could bring our people home. And it's not just our people. I've had a couple of evacuations in my career now. I was in Haiti during the earthquake and then covering China during the Wuhan. At that time, we were calling it the Wuhan Wuhan virus. virus. Yeah, that's what it was called. So we had people coming home. We had people who were just, their lives were disrupted. And you have children who need to get into some type of school. They may have left at the very last minute, so they don't have everything they need. So it was a Mm. lot of things going on. And so work went from zero to 60 And it was, you know, we're coming off of a holiday per se, Christmas, New Year's. But I actually was working. I did it. I was the one who decided to stick around for those holidays so I could take my 2020 vacations that Ah, I had planned. Okay. okay. Yeah. So work went crazy, uh, but we were glad that we could help, that we could evacuate American citizens who wanted to get out. We did assume at the time it was an isolated country situation until it wasn't. 
Yep. And then we learned about Italy and other places yeah. that were now dealing with what they renamed to be the COVID-19 uh, What is your specific role in uh, U.S. diplomacy? So right now, I, I've always done different things, whether it's public outreach, recruitment, but now I'm actually the logistics person. That's the best way to describe it, and people understand. Okay. I am a liaison that helps embassies and consulates get what they need out of Washington, whether it's monetary resources, support, approval, denials, whatever type of policy needs to be translated or, you know, implemented by the missions abroad comes from Washington, D.C. So I am the one who is giving you that policy or telling you what it is or getting the interpretation of what the policy is based on our rules and regulations so that overseas our leadership can do what's in the best interest of the U.S. government, but also in the best interest of taxpayers. So we're constantly making sure that we're within the rules so that it's beneficial to everyone involved. And in my effort, because I'm logistics, I'm the person who's helping to keep the building running. And it's the job that's not always remembered or recognized, yeah, but it's the most the important. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, it may actually doing the things. Exactly. Yeah. Because without <laughs> without my support or my money or something, you're not able to function. So we're constantly yeah. the one you're coming to to make sure you can do what you need to do. Okay. So like are you reviewing embassy budgets and things like that too? Sometimes, yeah, budgets, uh hiring numbers, positions, sure. uh how many Americans do you have where you are? How many local hires do you have where you are? family members, uh, is everyone accounted for? I mean, obviously in a situation like this, we have to account for lives and we also have to advocate for our people, you know, uh, online school, going to school there, making sure that safety protocols are being upheld. Is everyone able to, if they have to go into the office, do so safely? Those are the types of things we're constantly reviewing so that no one feels unsafe, you know? Yeah. So, so your your journey, uh, your COVID nineteen uh, story journey started early, yes. earlier than most. <laughs> earlier than most people were even thinking about it. And so you got everybody you needed to get uh, back home, um, out of the Wuhan area mm-hmm. and and surrounding areas even. Um, yeah. Oh, eventually, <laughs> most of China. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that sounds like yeah, that sounds like it probably took up uh, basically all of your time. Um, and uh, maybe even more. Were you working longer hours than you normally would too for that, or how did it go? To an extent, I'm to be transparent. I'm not the primary person who was in charge oh, of, of the China yeah, portfolio, yeah. so I definitely lended a hand. So you have a team, right? Yeah, we have a team, but there was one person who was handling China amongst other countries, and then it became a lot to handle alone. So okay, we, okay. as a team, divided the work. Some of us flew you know, to other parts of the country to be able to meet and greet those coming home and helping them get settled. And then we had those who stayed in Washington to make sure that we could get the approvals for certain things we needed because most Americans or people don't even realize when you have a crisis, whether it's natural or unexpected, 
there's charter flights that sometimes come in to get people home. Those are not free, nor are they waiting and sitting around, yeah. right? So <laughs> you you have to have someone who's facilitating contracts, discussions, uh, finding a carrier who who will do it, getting approvals to get into the airspace and land and take off. And so there's a lot of things like that. And then we also have emergency task force that are set up with people who volunteer to cover specific issues until that task force is no longer needed. So in the beginning of a crisis, it's normally 24 hours. Sometimes it's shift work to make sure the burden is spread, but other times it could be, you know, it only gets less when the situation is getting better. So in the beginning, people are all working longer hours to contribute. Yeah, wow. It's, it, it's funny. Uh, I used to work in the music uh, business and concerts and touring for Live Nation uh, Global. And uh, the parallels between uh, what you're talking about and uh, organizing a global concert tour mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, because getting in and out of countries and organizing flights and, and accounting for people, all the logistics Right. I mean, you know, there's a lot going on there. And so I, I, I can understand just a tiny bit of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but the urgency sounds like it's more so right. in your case. Right. I mean, um, to, to get people to from one place, because, you know, the, my, the, the thing that triggered for me is often there's very little time to get from one show to another show. And so everything has to go smoothly. So you have to have the relations with the government. So you have to have all the connections to uh, travel things like you're talking about, all of all of that stuff. Exactly. So this is fa- uh, fascinating stuff. And, and uh, again, I feel like we could do, do a whole show <laughs> on just like uh, your job uh, and, <laughs> and how it goes. Uh, but maybe, I mean, maybe that's not something you, you're even uh, allowed to drill down on much more, right? When we do the full one, I'll, I'll get my authorization to okay. go deeper if we need to but sure. yeah it's it's definitely like you said in your case at least you had a schedule so you knew your time frame ours was as soon as possible yes it's when you as soon as possible. when you have as soon as possible it's sort of like ah it could be yeah, right where now do you go? Or where do you go first, 13 hours right? from now yeah. exactly okay. and yeah. i would say this is my first situation where it's not just about getting people out. Now that they're out, now they have to quarantine and be separated from other people. And, and so trapped. we know for sure yeah. that they are okay. And so that was a logistical issue too, because that time we didn't realize how long people would have to learn how to be in quarantine. So 14 days course, was yeah. like, oh my God, that's the longest time ever. <laughs> and now we're going on like six months or yeah. whatever it is. And People um, have learned what they can handle. So you are, uh, from the beginning, have been an essential service. Yes. You're yes. an essential worker. So your your job has, has never been in uh, in peril. In, in fact, it, it is necessary. Yes. Yeah. So, so in terms of how this pandemic has affected your personal finances, um, it hasn't it hasn't really. It hasn't affected the income coming income-wise. in in yeah, a negative about, way. Yeah. yeah so things, I yeah. would actually in a positive say way maybe. Yes, right? yes. Yes. So I'll give you I am a jack of many trades. Sure. My nine to five like is it. my career, but my yeah. passion is financial literacy. Mm-hmm. So in addition to the podcast and the blog, I also sell life insurance and I help people plan out their finances. You got your license for yeah. selling. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Okay. So in the U.S. I so, love these discovery um, <laughs> podcasts where, where we're not telling your full story because I get these little tidbits and I'm like, 
Okay, yes. This is going to yes. be a great uh, future Full story, uh, yeah. Story. And that was also inspired by my 2016-2015 year where I said, you know, I want to help people and have some type of credentials to do it. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I, I dived that. in. So that is something that I've been doing since 2016 when I got licensed, but this is the year where I'm like, my business has skyrocketed and I don't know. I think it's a combination. I think some people are sitting at home thinking about their finances and their yeah. future. And they're like, I remember this speaker that I saw, Kwania Escarne, <laughs> and she said to contact her and I should contact her because they're again, they're sitting at home, they're available, they're pondering and reflecting on their future. I have gotten so many people to contact me again that I talked to in early 2020 or 2019 and didn't wow. think I would hear from them. And then I have people who have just looked around and said, wait, people are dying and I don't have life insurance. Yes. I need to fix this. So yeah. it has become a huge thing for me right now to just fit it, fit it all in. In addition wow. to virtual conferences are like super sexy right now. I, yep, yep. I have been doing a virtual <laughs> event almost every two weeks, give or take, starting in February. And again, was just an opportunity that was on Facebook. Someone was looking for someone to talk about life insurance for a virtual summit that the organization had decided the week before to do. And they mm. went from no speakers to 30 plus speakers, video recorded sessions and promoting it on social media and getting it pretty much sold out from a virtual sold out perspective, right? Like as many people who wanted to sign up could. And I think they had over a thousand participants over a couple of weeks of content. And that's how it started. I did that one insurance presentation and then I just would get another one or, hey, I saw you on so-and-so. Uh, can yeah. you do this for me? And I would say, yeah, sure. I love to talk about this stuff. And now I am going on, I don't know, my fifth or sixth, not just podcast tour, but virtual event tour. Like, And I love it. I don't have to leave my house. I don't even have to put on <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Are you going into work or are you working from home? Both. Both. Okay. So, we, so we've been splitting... Uh, rotating responsibilities because there there's just stuff we can't do from home so we yeah, rotate okay. going into the office so tell me about your uh, child care situation i am very fortunate in that i have a village to raise my children nice. so, so uh, my family? husband me and we have a live-in nanny who we okay. met in dubai okay. uh, she decided that she wanted to come back with us and oh. has been with us since 2012 so she's a part of our family how old are your kids seven and nine so did you have uh one or more of them in dubai yes my yes. youngest was born in dubai okay. yeah wow. what a journey <laughs> yeah so so that that's so that's so great so you ha you're good in what yeah what does your husband uh, do for work he's a consultant and prior to COVID 19 traveled every week all the time and okay. sometimes uh internationally yeah and it was interesting how his job just shut it down. They told them on a Friday, get That's all right. your stuff and you will be locked out on Monday. And they were not playing. And he and they gave everyone two monitors and sent them on their way. That's it. So right from yeah. home, right away. We, right uh, away. You know, I wasn't so far off on that. Um, 
you know, because we had orders to to go, you know, on the uh, middle of March, right? We mm-hmm. had orders to go home here in Ontario. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm right next to Toronto. I'm in Hamilton, uh, which is about 45 minutes drive. Uh, so I'm kind of in the in that area, but still locally, you know, we have different rules, uh, even right. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how it's by by city, by in your in your situation, city, county, Same. state, federal, Same. Right? and that's crazy too. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, right. It was it was an so, adjustment. Yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah, it was an adjustment. My job had to figure out what their rules were going to be. And we we call it the DMV, the D.C., Maryland and Virginia area. They all had different rules. They all every state slash district plus county, just like you said, had a different rule. And some of them had stay at home orders. So they had to determine, you know, do you really need to come into the office? And I would I would actually be in if I'm being fully transparent, my office did not have anyone who worked from home before COVID-19. It was just not happening. It wasn't a thing, right? It yeah. wasn't a thing. And people were asking and they were like, no, we think everyone needs to be here to be productive. And then they were forced to change. Yeah. Yeah. My my company as well. Uh, I mean, they, they didn't resist. Of course, they actually embraced it, the, the owners of my company, um, because, you know, the people first, which is a nice, nice to work for a company who thinks that way right away. Um, but uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, I'm an insolvency counselor under the Bankruptcy Insolvency Act uh, in Canada. So we uh, are, we're bound by those laws. Um, and so those laws say um, you can't sign someone up for a bankruptcy or a proposal, which is, th- these are chapter 11, chapter 13 equivalents, uh, or se- chapter seven or 11. Either way, chapter 13 is like a proposal where you don't pay all, all of the debt doesn't go away some of it you pay some of it right um so those things uh you have to sign up in person that was always the rule you got to meet the person right so they had to change that um for covid they said by video you got to see the person by video that's and that was it but in january before all this happened i'm the counselor so i do two mandatory counseling sessions as part of when somebody files insolvency and the uh, the rules there were, oh, if somebody moved to a, like a city over and they can't easily make it to your office, you can do it by video. Or if they're like really sick and can't leave the house and they got to get their counseling done, video. So it was way more lax for me to do video. So to transition to all video wasn't a big deal for me, right? And I was already set up, ready to go, uh, having worked from home for a couple of years. Uh, so that was it was an easy transition for me. They actually set it all up. They you know, I, I feel very lucky that that happened. And so your husband had that same situation, just kind of sent everybody home yeah. for you. It was you had to be forced to do that. But then you're essential for certain situations. Yeah. Or in, just in general, our team, there's just certain things we can't do from home. So yeah, we, okay. we kind of pulled straws and said, what day do you want? And we, but we definitely, uh, in in my defense of my uh, agency, they got it together quickly. Sure. They figured out the technology and then offered classes to educate people who didn't know how to really do it. And then yep. we had so many options. So it went from like no option to a whole bunch of options. Because you got to balance what the rules are and, the, and how you what you know. Exactly. And, and you, we can't just change everything because it's going to take too long. And, and uh, exactly. we have all these balls in the air. And what are we going to do? Right. So that that's yeah. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a OK. They're saying we have to do this. OK. Now we can. Right. Uh, and that's what that's what happened with with your situation. Right. Uh, and how, it came they, from the top yeah. down, which helped because we have Good, offices yeah. who were already really savvy 
savvy at working from home and then others who weren't doing it at all. So now the top of the organization is saying, no, everyone needs to get on board. And then you all follow suit. Okay, good. And so uh, like, tell me how uh, your experience is going to work now. Do you have to wear masks? Yes. What is, what is the... Yeah, the, so we the wear masks. Social distancing. We, we observe social distancing. And you know, I think in general, not even just at work, but to go to my grocery store, yeah. I need to wear mask. a mask. Yeah. It, and you now, get you get a look of disgust when you forget oh, when to you forget put it on. Mask. Yeah. Okay. okay you know, good. when you forget to put on your mask, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I have to run to the restroom and I'm so busy. I'm already up. I'm walking. I get up from my desk. I run and then I get to the door and I'm like, nope, you cannot go into this hallway without your mask. And I have to go back and get it. We have to learn these new behaviors, right? Yeah. But I think. I don't mind. It's for the protection and safety of everyone. But at the same time, it is definitely still a habit you have to really process. I I have mask in my car. I have mask in my purse. I have mask at my desk because I just don't want to be caught without one. Yeah. It's, uh, you, you never know. Like if you're I, I think about uh, driving. Right. Like what if I what if I wanted to stop and just get something? Right. Or even, uh, you know, I go for a run every couple of days and sometimes, you know, and it's going to sound counterproductive, but sometimes I want to get a donut on the way home, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, they have walk up window for our donut place now, which is nice. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe I want to have a contactless card with me and, uh, and a mask so that I can just put it on and go up to the one because I don't even like to go up to a window um, without a mask on. You know, that's that's kind of where I'm at these days. I don't like to go anywhere if I don't have to. That's my level of anxiety during uh, this pandemic. And I realize it's more about just be we're being in a state of emergency right now. And I don't feel like it's just as I don't feel like it's the world that I was in before. It's yeah. it's all very different. Right. I uh, think everyone's adjusting, though. Yeah. Everyone has different levels of, of, uh, of risk tolerance, too. Right. Uh, we're actually going virtual in the fall and I, I'm nervous. I mean, so mm -hmm. I did mention we have a live in nanny and she helps, but my nine year old could not do school completely on his own. It's just a matter of accountability. He's nine. Yeah. Yeah. He would rather play Roblox course, and Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> so seriously. You, we had to really, that was, that was a challenge, even though she could help in monitoring what they're working on. My seven-year-old is a special needs child and needs a hundred percent support to yeah. do a lot of daily activities. So she was really focused on him and my husband and I tag teamed on our nine-year-old okay. where we would take days. Like, can you make sure he does his work today? Can you make sure on Tuesdays and Thursdays he logs in to Google meet with his teacher? Yeah. And then can we make sure that we turn in the work on Friday? Cause they used to give us a week to do the work. But in the beginning, it was frustrating because the county was still trying to figure out how to support students and not everyone had technology. I mean, we didn't even have a computer for him to use. So we were like, how is he supposed to do these Google Meets? We really didn't want to buy him a laptop at this age and have him be independently able to get on the Internet. Right. So he had yeah, an iPad consideration. Exactly. Yeah. So he had an iPad and he could do certain things, but he was not, you know, meeting people on the Internet. So we a lot of parents said something. And I'm so glad that my taxpayers dollars went into Chromebooks for all the students. And then they just had to figure out who doesn't have okay. Internet. 
So that was really, that was a blessing. So he got a Chromebook early into COVID and that was how he was able to log in. And the Chromebooks issued from the school are kind of limited in who they can talk to. So, you know, the email okay. is localized to the school teachers and the students and things like that. So I felt safer with him being on the internet and engaging with his class because it was a closed environment. Yeah. And, and I just feel like uh, a lot of this stuff uh, might reveal like income disparity and things like that, too. Right. I mean, uh, the, the you, you said that the sorry, I, I, sometimes it jumbles up a little bit. I think you said that the school board provided. Uh, the, yeah. Uh, the so the county, the county provided yeah. the Chromebooks and they initially they were giving Chromebooks to fifth graders before covid. And then they said basically, I think, second grade and up everyone got one you just wow. had to come to the school and pick it up so but then what about those who i'm sure some students don't have internet at home yeah you know anything about the the, the situation with the uh, i think income? yeah so i think they allow you to contact them and figure out a partnership but i'm not sure because we do have internet but we also do have lower income students who go to the school and they're a part of a group where whenever there's something that can be done to accommodate them they're contacted and their arrangement is made okay but i will okay. say in virginia that's a higher priority but we had some issues in dc where you know um fortunately i think organizations stepped up like Verizon, like providers. I think so internet service yeah. providers came in and, and they've been providing internet. If they have a part of their company that can exactly. support. Yeah. Exactly. Um, social outreach sort of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like, so, so there's so much nuance with this situation, right? I mean, so many things that come up that we don't think about like, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, uh, obviously a lot of these orders come from a place of privilege to start. Right. They say, um, oh, you know, just set up. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was like this one. Just you know, set up and uh, a computer, a separate computer for your kid in in your spare uh, bedroom or guest guest room or something. <laughs> like there's just so many layers of privilege in that statement in itself, right? I'm glad you recognize it because there are some people who don't, and I'm constantly reminding them that this is not a given. No, you know, and I even had to complain because I'm sure people were like, well, you guys, you have you both have incomes. You're a two parent household. Why doesn't your child have a laptop at nine years old? And I was like, whoa, like whoa, that is yeah. not a necessarily a financial factor. It could be other reasons. Exactly. And in my case, they were valid because now that he does have a computer, he plays Roblox and Minecraft <laughs> all the time. That's right. Right. So, the, yeah, it's not always a, a financial, but even if it, it, it was exclusively financial, that's your prerogative too. exactly to, to, to make that decision. Um, but yeah, like. As people live in different ways and we we we've all been able to slowly over time adapt to the what society is right and be like okay well that's normal i gotta send my kids to school every day i gotta work in nine to five and then they're working during that time and i gotta get someone to pick them up from school if i'm not ready at that time etc cetera, etc cetera. all of the things that have been built into us over time and this is all so new and everything's different now that th the people in charge don't seem to really understand um, what it's like to have kids <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. It, to an extent, yes. And then some of it is, it's the unknown that's scary, right? Like we took a vote 
as parents on what we wanted our kids to be able to do, whether it's virtual or a hybrid system where you went to school a couple of days a week and then Mm. you were home the other days of the week. And despite the vote, because the teachers even were allowed to vote, they had a say and a majority of them wanted to come back and teach the kids. They really in their heart wanted to do it. The county decided a week later to unanimously vote that we all stay home, which is fine. I, again, I want to be on the right side of history when all of this is said and done. And I don't want to be the person who like stood up and said, make my kid go in because flu season is bad for kids in school. So I'm not going to like try to say I don't get it. But they did unanimously decide that we were not going to go back to school as plans. And my husband and I just have to get ready. Like we learned a lot Mm. of lessons this past spring on what works for our son and what doesn't, what motivates him to do the work he has to do and how we need to manage him. But it's definitely, you know, we had days where we said, you know what, this is not worth fighting over or ruining our relationship with our child. So he's just not going to do this assignment today. We'll yeah. try again tomorrow, you know, but the it's teachers, doing the best we can, right? we're all doing the best we can. And they, they are angels. I didn't become yes. a teacher because I can teach someone how to handle their money. But most of the time, these are adults who have made a decision to commit to the process. They yeah. are ready. Yeah. A nine year old is never ready to do a research project. It's a different thing. You, you're always trying to find ways to, to teach them. Uh, you know, exactly. teachers that I that I know in my life are th- this is the this is their mission, right? Exactly. Um, it's a very special thing to be able to uh, not only educate someone but get through to them. I think that's that's it, right? That's the uh, key. The, like what you said, they're they're not ready. They're not open and and receptive. Some kids are great, fine. But the majority are not, and the majority is resistance. Exactly. Right? Uh, and uh, you know, and uh, what's interesting is you have a relative uh, level of privilege uh, um, uh, in your life. Um, uh, you know, to dealing with a, a spe- one special needs and you know uh, one well, just I mean the fact that they're, they're the ages themselves yes. uh, are make it difficult. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine um, what other uh, parents who you know don't have nannies or don't have any infrastructure. Or um, even you, you're, you're like you're talking about planning and and trying to help and making conscious decisions, and maybe they don't even can't even think this way, right? So there's like so many different things going on, and, and everybody's struggling. So, yeah, I guess the the democratic vote would be uh, the, the the only way to to decide on this. Uh, and the teachers, I'm glad they got a, a say because they would uh, likely be the most at risk. Based on the age group, I hear once you get a little bit older as a child, you become more at risk. But again, as I was saying earlier in, in my uh, show with uh, on Dear Ruby, um, we were talked about this that uh, all of this is just preliminary theories about COVID, right? Nobody has any long-term data yet, and and uh, I think uh, Fauci uh, was w- had a couple of quotes about how we have all this information about these. Um, these uh, viruses that we know about, like decades, and we have m- only months about this. So how can we? That's what I'm afraid of. We're gonna be. We're still figuring it out. You know, like in the beginning, it was don't wear a mask. Then it was wear a mask. Then it's wear a mask between six feet. 
where did six feet come from? You know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> we're still figuring it out. And that's what scares me is that we don't know everything that's to come. And it impacts my side hustle, life insurance, right? I had my first client recently whose application was postponed. I didn't even know that was a category. And I've been selling life insurance for three years. Why? But let me tell you what postpone means. Yeah. Postpone is when a company decides they're not going to make a decision to insure this person because they are potentially high risk for COVID-19. Oh meaning they're over the age of 60. They're, they have one of the situations, say diabetes, for example, that okay. you don't want to have and get COVID-19. Therefore, they are a high risk category and they know that if this person dies, they're going to have to pay. So they're going to wait until the pandemic is quote unquote over. Oh my. And they can do, you know, have the mathematicians come out, do the numbers, figure out life expectancies based on this particular pandemic and then decide if this person is still considered high risk or an insurable candidate. I never had anything like that before. It is all new. And then even trying to explain that to an applicant and getting them to understand what that means. It's not a denial, but it's not an approval either. It's crazy. It's it's, it's a representative of our situation in general right now, right? We don't know. Right. We just don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they've been changing the underwriting rules since this started. Right. Or adapting them. They're trying. They're trying in that they don't know what it means. I have and I work with several companies. So I'm fortunate that one of my companies is still pushing through like normal. And then this is the first one, like I said, where they said, pause, we need to reevaluate this. So it's it's really interesting, but they're they're supposed to still move forward. But life insurance companies take risk. That's the whole point. They do a lot of calculations to determine, (laughs) you know, calculated risk. That's it. Is this worth it? And they are trying to figure it out as they go too. So it, it is a struggle, and I feel bad for anyone who delayed getting life insurance for whatever reason. And now may find themselves in a situation where it's a little more challenging to get covered. Yeah. Wow. That's it. I, I never thought about the the changing of of underwriting rules um, when it comes to a pandemic. Of course, yeah. Like uh, they have to think about all of these things. I'm sure there's a whole team just right away for every insurance company just thinking, okay, what does this mean? What does this mean? Um, you know, how much is this going to cost us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, wow. Yeah. That's, that's a fascinating, uh, part, part of this. There's so like, like I said earlier, there's so much nuance with this. So you don't think about what, what affects the, this or that. Um, so, uh, we should probably wrap up, uh, soon, uh, cause we're getting close to the hour, but I, I want, uh, uh just talk about, uh, your podcast a little bit and, uh, and the first 20, 20 episodes now or 20. Yeah. So I'm going to end season one with 22 episodes. The last two are coming. The Purpose of Money podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Outcast FM, wherever you listen, please check it out. I focus on women building wealth stories and those who are creating more freedom in their life. My mission is to help women build generational wealth. 
I've decided to focus on women because a lot of them are heads of households or managing the finances for their household. And they are the ones who have the ability to really think future planning, setting money aside, investing, saving. As a financial coach and wealth strategist, I help my clients figure out how to reallocate money they already have to put towards financial goals. And so a lot of times you don't have to make more money. You just need to spend it differently. And that's what I try to help people see. And then on a podcast, I'm sharing stories of some of my clients, but also people that I've met that I feel have a a phenomenal story that I think other people need to hear. Most of my guests are regular women. So they are not those headliner in the newspaper big stories that you normally read about when it comes to finances. I have a few. I I put a few VIPs in there. (laughs) But I, I try to focus on women's stories that you can relate to. You could take what they did and actually implement it in your own life. And start making changes today. And I tell you, this past couple of weeks, I've gotten so much positive feedback. It's really encouraged me to keep going. So after the 22nd episode, I'll take a short break and I'll come back with season two in September. That's that's awesome. And uh, you are. Yeah. Like you said, you're doing virtual conferences. You're uh, you're working uh working your day job you're uh you're doing tons of stuff uh, i'll put the links to the podcast and and your website so is it the purpose of money.com yes the purpose of money.com you can follow me on instagram at the purpose of money or on twitter at purpose underscore money i'd love to hear from some of your listeners and see how we can work together or share their story so if anyone listening thinks that their story would be a great one for my audience, let me know. Contact me at thepurposeofmoney.com on my contact page. Perfect. And, and yeah, this, you know, uh, this time is, a, we got to keep talking about uh, money. We got, that's, that's so much more important uh, to talk about money now than, than any other time. And like you said, the life insurance, everybody's coming out of the woodwork and, and uh, to empower people, um, to take control. And I, I do, when you come back, which of course you will, uh, to tell your story, I do, uh, I, I want to talk about generational wealth uh, a lot more. It's something that, uh, you know, if you, if, I guess if, you, if you have generational wealth, you don't think about it. <laughs> if you don't, you do, uh, I'm sure, right? Or you, or you should. Yes, you should. I want everyone to think about it. Even if your answer is, I want to give all my money away to organizations and not my own kids. Fine. If that's your prerogative, so be it. But let's try to get the money up so it could be as much as possible. That's right. And so, it, it, like you said, it's about talking about goals and knowing your goals. Like, what is the purpose of your money? I mean, that's I mean, the purpose of money is a great title because money isn't just for something that, you know, I mean, unless you're Warren Buffett, it's just something that you make and you don't care about. Um, he just loves to make money, that guy. He doesn't care to spend it, though, and he has really no purpose for it. That's why he's giving it all away. Um, that's, he's, he's definitely a unicorn in that sense. Uh, he, he, you know, n- nobody just makes money to make money. Usually there's a reason, right? You want to be financially independent. You want to leave a legacy. You want to build generational wealth. You want to be able to buy a house or afford something or have security. There's so many reasons, but if you don't think about it, then the money's just going to go to wherever people tell you to, to put it. Uh, and often the banks are not the ones to listen to in that regard. And uh, nor are the uh, retailers or, or uh, you know, people trying to sell you, oh, they have eight, nine-year car loans now. Oh, it's just, 
you know, or a boat. Uh, the, the to me, like you don't buy a boat unless you're like I don't know, you got millions. <laughs> That's my. And even then, I would say, can't you just rent it? How many days? <laughs> how many days a year do you actually need this boat? Yeah, what are you going to do with this boat? There's a lot of things, but I, I want to say this, you know, I'm not here to guilt or shame anyone in, yeah, into what true. they want. I help you figure out, okay, if this is what you want, then let's create a plan to get it. So we all feel accomplished at the end because I may highly value a pair of jeans. You may highly value a boat. I'm not going to say one is better than the other, but I definitely think you should be able to afford both. Right. So yeah. if you want a boat, Let's pay for it. Let's, let's not finance it, right? it. You know, yeah. let's so figure let's out plan something for that's it. Gonna, yeah, because it's fine if you if you know what it means to get into an eight year uh, car loan and and take that on, and you're fully aware, then yeah, all all the power to you, right? It's just I've never <laughs> I've never met anyone who was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. And so there are specific things, right, like that, that people get into that, yeah, no, I mean, even if we're not being judgmental, it's not what they wanted. So yes. that's that's why talking about this is so important. Yes. And listening to podcasts and listening to different perspectives and you'll hear like, yeah, oh, wow, I could do that that way and, and not uh, uh, be in debt for the rest of my life. Yes, I love it. Yes. It, and talking about it is important. It will open your eyes to what you're really buying. So, yes, it's important. Yeah, perfect. All right. So uh, as usual, um, I will be back next week. I think um, I'm going to do a solo episode about debt. That's what I'm thinking about because it's something that I talk about every day with, uh, you know, uh, five or four to seven people, depending on how my schedule goes, um, you know, and with counseling sessions. But it's, you know, when you talk about uh, people being in debt, getting out of it, how getting a fresh start, you start to think about, what are ways, how do we get into this in the first place? And what are ways that, that we could get out of it or prevent it from happening? You know, a lot of things are, are, are not preventable, you know, and situational things, systemic things. Sometimes you're just kind of stuck with the thing that you got, uh, which is, you know, uh, and we'll keep working on those things, of course, too. But if you are, do get into a situation where you have money and then you just don't know what to do with it, and then so you don't save it. And then when something happens, you have to go into debt. That's an unfortunate situation that can be prevented. And I want to talk about those possibilities as well. But uh, w while acknowledging that, hey, life is hard and sometimes you have things. And that's why you, you end up seeing me because you, the thing happened you couldn't anticipate. But then you have a fresh start. And how do we make sure that, that, that you're protected going forward? Um, so, yeah, a little bit, a little uh, solo episode about debt. I, I'm starting my uh, my. Uh, uh, Italy vacation, but not in Italy uh, n next week. <laughs> so I will be, uh, I will be just hanging out and uh, uh, you know having just a nice relaxing time uh, without having to work and with the baby in daycare, just time to myself, which is nice because uh, it's been a bit of a hectic time, hasn't it, for everybody? Uh, so it's um, even though we're not going to Italy, I, I accept that. It's again a uh, first world problem very privileged problem to not get to go to Italy, um, but still have my job, still have my family, still have my health and all of that. Um, so I'm, I'm very thankful of that. And so yeah, tune in next week and we'll, we'll talk about uh, a dad a little bit. And uh, uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. Check out all of uh, Aquania Escarnay's stuff, uh, The Purpose of Money. Um, um, what a great show today. I'm very happy about that. <laughs>